Welcome to Trailhead Church. My name is Steve, and I am the lead pastor. And uh, you guys, welcome to Trailhead United. Um, how cool is this? How cool is this? You know, anniversaries are a great time to, to look back and reflect, look forward and hope, right? Uh, it's a great time to consider what God has done and renew our hope for what God is doing and, and will do. Um, you know, we are a seven-year-old church, and uh, as I have, uh, you know, just been reflecting over the last seven years what God has done, um, you know, sometimes it seems like it was just yesterday that, that uh, we, we, would, we would open up our home on Sunday evenings, and like the whole church would come over and, and hang out and, uh, you know, eat around the table and hang out on the back porch. Um, other times I look back over the seven years, and honestly, it feels like dog years. Uh, it's been like 49 years of of craziness, and, um, and, and I'm incredibly grateful because God has done a lot in seven years. Um, it's really incredible to think about, and it has left me, um, I mean, honestly, truly humbled and, uh, and overwhelmingly grateful. Uh, those are probably the two primary experiences as I'm looking at what God has done and what he is doing. And, and one of the things that I'm incredibly thankful for is the fact that from the beginning, I have been surrounded by a team of leaders who have uh, come alongside and, and um, man, just borne a tremendous amount of weight, sacrificed uh, a tremendous amount of energy, have loved each other, have loved this city, um, and have loved the gospel so that others who are far from God can be brought near and those who are near can be encouraged and renewed in their faith. And, and, and I'm incredibly thankful. And so I'm just going to pause, and I want to, I want to thank some folks. Um, my deacons. My deacons are, are folks that, uh, they're my volunteer and paid now, because we actually have paid staff. Uh, but for most of the history, they're the volunteer staff of the church. The deacons are people who give anywhere from 5 to 20 hours a week to the church. Um, they, are, they are devoted in their leadership. They lead teams or teams of teams. And, and the way they serve directly impacts uh, the ministry of this church. And so if you are a deacon or if you have been a deacon in Trailhead Church, will you stand? Go ahead. Just stand and uh, do it. Come on. I love you guys. And I am incredibly thankful for you. You can go ahead and sit down. I'm not going to embarrass you further. Uh, but there's a second group I have to, have to uh, acknowledge as well. Our community group leaders are folks that um, they are our lead disciplers. That's what we call our community group leaders. They are the small p pastors of the church. They're the ones that are meeting every single week with people, walking with them as they learn to walk in grace and, and grow in the principles of the gospel. And, and our community group leaders are, are there to, to celebrate the joys and walk in the mess. They are there to open up their homes even when no one shows up um, and, and to make you know, desserts and, and all the rest of it. Um, and, and, and this couldn't happen. Our discipleship model simply wouldn't happen without this team of leaders who, who are sacrificially opening up their lives to invest in others. So if you are a community group leader, if you have been a community group leader in Trailhead, will you please stand up? Come on, don't be shy. Just do it. I love you guys. Incredibly thankful for you. You guys, over the last seven years, we've seen a lot of things happen in our church. We have seen over 60 people baptized, uh, people that wanted to publicly declare 
um, their uh, faith in Christ, the fact that they have a new identity in Christ. Um, that has been uh, exciting. We have sent out two church planters, um, both of which gave us tremendous joy, uh, both of which are like sons to me. We have partnered with half a dozen other church plants in and throughout the St. Louis area, um, just walking with um, people that are, that are laying down their lives to see other people blessed. And of course, we have the great opportunity this morning of having our daughter church Heights with us. Uh, so Heights Church, thanks. Uh, we love you guys. And, um, and Heights Church has, has not just shown up uh, to, to, you know, it's like inviting your kids home for Thanksgiving, you know. Um, hey, when are you going to cook? Where's the meat? These guys showed up and worked. Um, they're, they're helping watch our kids. They were helping set up. And, and, and you guys, I love you. I'm very thankful for you. Corey, you're doing an incredible job. Love you, brother. Um, and uh, very, very thankful for the grace of God in you and what God is, is doing through you. We sent you guys out in 2014 after two years of uh, uh, residency. Um, uh, we honestly had no idea what it meant to have a church planting resident because I didn't really know what it meant to plant a church. I was just doing it. And uh, Corey jumped into the mess, and by God's grace, um, we now see a couple hundred people in community uh, down in Collinsville with Heights Church. And, um, uh, you know, just, just a huge blessing to see you guys be a blessing to Collinsville. Um, we have sent both money and people out. Um, that's, that's the movement of the Spirit, right? It is this movement out, and, and we've sent... Uh, uh, we've been supporting everything from East St. Louis out our back door all the way to China. Uh, and, and, and that's just an incredible privilege that God has opened those doors to allow us to partner. You know, just this year, our church sponsored almost 100 children through Compassion International in, in one little neighborhood in the capital of Honduras. Our community partnering together um, in a way that's going to impact that community over the next decade as we have simply uh, partnered together to be a blessing to those, to those children. Um, we took a special offering in December, which um, uh, I haven't mentioned much, but you guys know we took that offering in December. I want to let you know that we did collect $48,000 uh, in that offering, uh, which equipped us to, to just move out in some very generous ways. We, we, we're going to be sending a check for $10,000 down to R3. Uh, R3 is our partnership down in East St. Louis. They, they do renovation and, and they, uh, they, they are investing in the community. We're setting aside $10,000 for future work in Honduras. Um, we're, 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 we're funding a, a number of, of projects, one of which hospitality team, you'll be glad to know, uh, you are going to actually get sinks that work. Um, we are going to be, you're going to get you some cabinets and actual sinks so that when you make coffee, it actually happens. Um, and so, you know, thank you guys. Thank you. Because here's the thing. What I love, I mean, this is what lights me up, you guys. It's not about, like, I don't even, you know, it is cool that we're in here, right? It is cool that we outgrew the wild. It is, I mean, all that stuff is cool. But here's the thing that's really cool. I believe God is doing something in this community. I think God is shaping something in this community. That's more exciting to me than anything else. I would rather be in a group of 10 that are gripped by the grace of God than a group of 100 that are impressed with themselves. I would rather be in a small group that, that are in love with the love of God than in love with how they look when others see them. I believe God is shaping within our community a deep response to grace because when God moves toward us in grace, it awakens within us a profound gratitude, and that profound gratitude roots us in a humility and propels us out into growth. Growing in our obedience to Christ and growing in our generosity toward others is growing in the experience of love, of being loved and loving 
others. And I am incredibly excited about what God is doing and has been doing. This year, we've got some exciting stuff coming up. Um, I'll, I'll let you know, we finally gained approval from the city for our, our, uh, our handicap wheelchair ramp. Uh, that's actually happening. Yeah, we didn't forget about it. We've been working on it. Uh, we have all the money raised. It is set aside, and we got approval from the city. And so, Lord willing, this year, uh, we will actually have a ramp installed so that our entire family can come worship with us on Sunday mornings, um, and not just those that are able to navigate the stairs. Um, we continue to pray for uh, investment in, in future work, right? Right now, Alton, I just, man, we, we took two months at the end of the year to fast and pray, and God has gripped my heart and, and, and the le- hearts of our leaders, and, and I really believe God is, is moving us in that direction. Uh, the Alton area is, is, is made up of, of 50,000 people, more if you count uh, some of the surrounding communities, uh, and, and, and there are not enough gospel-centered churches in that area uh, to reach people love of Christ and introduce them into the beauty of, of the grace of God. And, and I really believe God this year is, is going to move us out. I don't have any big reveals. There's no big announcements. Other than the fact that, that as we have fasted and prayed, it has just become a conviction within our hearts that God is moving us in that direction. I'm also incredibly excited about ways we're going to be equipping our church to continue to grow this year as we continue to get better at doing uh, what we have tried to do in the past, which is helping you engage the Word of God so the Spirit of God can use that Word to change you into the image of of the Son of God. And and in three weeks, we're going to be starting a new sermon series through the book of James. You're all invited, unless you go to Heights, in which case you're not. Um, We love you, but uh, you're going to stay there. Um, But on February 11th, we are beginning a sermon series through the book of James, and and, uh, a team has been working feverishly in the background to create some support material that we think is really going to help you engage the series and grow through it. We're going to have some study books, uh, and those books are going to equip you to to enter into the passage before the sermon. There's going to be some pages for notes in the sermon. There's going to be questions for reflection and digging in after the sermon, as well as discussion questions for our community groups as we, in community, dig in and wrestle with the Word of God. Um, I am just so stoked because I believe um, God is going to use this to continue to change us and shape us. You guys, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And when the Spirit of God uses that sword in our lives, we are set free. And that's why we're going to Hebrews chapter 4. Grab your Bibles. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We're going to put the verses up on the screen behind me. Um, But uh, if you do have your Bible... Going over to, to Hebrews chapter 4. Um, I told you guys, Hebrews was the book I read the night I became a believer. This was, this was what the Spirit of God used to lead me to Christ. This is the first book I preached when we launched Trailhead Church seven years ago. Uh, it has continued to be an informative book. The passage we're studying this morning um, is one of my favorite passages in, in the entire book. Um, because it is probably the most unsettling and most comforting passage in the entire letter. So let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and then we're going to discuss it. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. 
Since, therefore, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of the story of The Wizard of Oz. It is um, one of those, you know, every film student has to watch it. It's a classic American film. It is incredible storytelling. It's the story of a young girl who runs away from home uh, and then suddenly regrets it, tries to get back home, and then on the way, this tornado comes, and she gets zapped away to this, this uh, really, really weird place. And, um, and in that place, um, she meets weird people, right? A scarecrow and a tin man and a lion, right? A, a, a scarecrow that um, doesn't think he can think, which is a strange thing. Uh, a, a tin man that, that doesn't feel he can feel, another strange thing. And, and a lion who, who while he is uh, very, um, I don't know, roary, roary, loud, intimidating, uh, he, he is, uh, actually feels himself quite cowardly. Uh, and these guys go on this trip along a yellow brick road. Yes, this sounds like a drug trip, but stick with it because they're, they're going to this place where they're going to meet this guy named Oz and, and, and the wizard. And, and, and wizard is, is like this big, intimidating, scary thing with all of these. And all along the way, they run into flying monkeys and munchkins. And, and you know, it's, it's awesome. And, and then they finally get to this, this, this dude at the end um, who's going to give them everything they want, and he gives them nothing that they ask for. Um, but here's the thing. There are some incredibly powerful themes in this story that I think are actually quite revealing of the human heart. Uh, each person in this story is, is trying to re-experience the shalom of God. You're like, dude, you're getting all theology on it. Okay, so listen, remember, shalom, doesn't, shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. It doesn't mean a lack of conflict. It means the presence of flourishing. Right? Shalom means that, that, that I, am, I, am, I am finding the balance, the fullness, the purpose of life. I am, I am, I am one with the God who created me and, and I have no conflict. I am, I am at peace with myself. The inner conflict, uh, the inner critic is silenced and, and I have nothing to prove and nothing to hide. I am at peace with others. Instead of being in competition with others, I am now in, in community with others and, and I am at peace with the rest of God's creation. Each one of them was yearning for the restoration of shalom. Each one of them was, was struggling uh, to be comfortable in their own skin. The scarecrow wanted a brain. The tin man wanted a heart. The lion wanted courage. So the big reveal comes at the end of the story when they finally come to the wizard, and it turns out that the wizard, who's so big and intimidating and wise, turns out to just be this broken-down middle-aged man hiding behind his pyrotechnics, right? He, he, he's behind this big curtain with a big, you know, it makes his voice big, and it makes him, and he's just some old dude that, that really can't do anything. And you could, one lesson that you could take out of this is possibly that life is just a big con job. Ha <laughs> ha, there you go. Um, but I don't think that's the point. I think the point is that, that there is, in a sense, a reality that each one of us is trying to get comfortable in our own skins, that each one of us are trying to come to peace with ourselves, our wiring, our world, our, our God. And what's interesting is in this story, 
each of the key characters has a breakthrough. And each of the key characters has that breakthrough, not as the result of some wizard doing some magic, but as a result of Dorothy simply loving them where they are and meeting them where they are and walking with them where they are in love. She sees them exactly as they are. She calls them out exactly where they are and then walks with them, just loving them where they all are. They have something that that keeps them locked away. Here's the thing, you guys. Um, We all have a tendency to do that. We all have a tendency to have an ideal image of ourselves or, or, or an idea of who we're supposed to be or, or if I could just get here, if I could just be that, if I could just get this under control, if I could just stop doing this or if I could just start doing this, then, 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 then. And the problem is that then never comes and as a result we hide ourselves away because we're afraid of condemnation, we're afraid of rejection. We lock that thing up and... and and, and as a result, we create this facade, this image. And here's the thing, it's really, really hard to love a facade. You know why? Because you're not actually meeting me. You're not actually seeing me. You're loving an image of me. And whatever love you end up giving to that facade, I'm going to quietly tell myself in the background, that's not really for me, that's for the image I'm projecting of me. Which locks me even further into this, this, this prison, this self-made prison. You guys, God is going to set us free. That's what this passage is about. What does all this have to do with our passage? A ton. Uh, I'm going to put the verses back up on the screen just to remind you of some some key parts. It it, it begins by saying that that we are to strive to enter into the rest of God. Now, remember when he's talking about rest, he's not just talking about you're tired at the end of the day, you need a good nap. He's saying we all need the deep rest of God, the shalom of God, the peace of God, the flourishing in the presence of life that comes from the presence of God. And last week, we, we took a look at how this really is one of the central promises of the gospel, right? Jesus died and rose again, not just to take you into heaven, but to bring heaven back to you, to, to bring you back into the experience of the fullness and the flourishing and, and the beauty of life. Peace with yourself, peace with God, peace with others. And man, we have a hard time entering that because we are a driven and distracted people. We have a culture of more and never enough, more and never enough, and it leaves us exhausted and anxious. And the reality is most of us spend most of our time stressed out. The gospel promises us shalom, contentment, peace, balance, so that the frayed ends of our life aren't where we invest our energy and try to find our security. Peace. The gospel promises us shalom. And Christ won it for us, right? Peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with others, and eventually even peace with the rest of created order when Christ comes back and restores his kingdom. We live in this tension of, of our peace is already won, but it is not yet experienced fully, which is why we need to strive to enter that rest. We need to actively pursue the blessing of the gospel. One of the most important tools God has left us in this struggle is, in fact, the Word of God. 
The text tells us that the Word of God is living and active. It is not just a book. It is not just words on a page. It is, it is not just uh, something to be studied or, or attempted to be mastered or, or possibly even ignored. It, it is living and active. When we open the Word of God and we engage with it, there is a true spiritual dynamic taking place in which the Spirit of God is working through the Word of God to shape us into the image of of the Son of God, it is living and active, and it is, it is sharp. In verse 12, it tells us that the Word of God is, is like a sword. Now, the word for sword here in the Greek is a short, like, dagger-type sword, not one of the broad swords that's used for just hacking and mowing, right? It is, it is a dagger. It is more like a scalpel. It is something that is be, meant to be used up close in a very precise way, and it is incredibly sharp, so sharp that it won't just cut between bones and ligaments. It'll actually cut between the soul and the spirit. It is so sharp it will discern and expose the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And you're like, man, that sounds awesome, right? Huh? Huh? Nah. I mean, seriously, you guys, think about it. How often do you reveal the, uh, the true motives for what you do and say? You know what I'm saying? Like, like to others, like, like I'm saying this right now because, and you're actually being completely honest. How, how often are you completely honest with yourself about the motives of your own heart? I complimented my boss because I'm a nice person. Eh, I complimented my boss because I wanted to be noticed. I took out my neighbor's trash because I like to serve. Yeah, I took out my neighbor's trash because I need him to watch my dog when I go on vacation. I did the dishes because I, I just love my spouse. Now I did it because, you know. <laughs> you know, right? I'm mad at you because you're a jerk. Nah. I'm mad at you because I feel insignificant, because I wanted you to notice me and pay attention to me, and I I felt like you paid more attention to somebody else. I gave money to that homeless person because they were in need, and, well, I'm just that kind of guy. Nah. I was actually feeling a twinge of guilt, because honestly, I have so much that I'm not even thankful for, and there are people around me with so much need, I don't know how to deal with the disparity. You guys, let me ask you something. Seriously, how often are you perfectly honest about your actions with others and even with yourself? See, you guys, there are layers and layers of deception, right? The thoughts and intentions of our hearts, man. We don't even let ourselves see the true motives for many of our actions because when we look at them in the light of day, man, we cringe, because we're cringeworthy, right? We, we feel the weight of shame because we're shameful. We, we, we don't want that stuff to come out because, because it's scary. Here's the thing, you guys. Good news. If you're a visitor, and this is great news for you, the Word of God is going to expose the thoughts and intents of your heart. Yeah. Right? Seriously. Like it's a sharp, two-edged sword. And, and it's really, really, really good at cutting away the lies and the self-deceptions, and the stories we tell ourselves that, that help justify the unjustifiable and expose the shame that is behind much of what we take pride in. It exposes what is 
true. Why? Verse 13 tells us why. It's so that we will be naked and exposed to the one to whom we must give an account. <laughs> Somebody like Steve, seriously, man, thanks for the invitation, but I think I'm done now, right? Some of you are ready to leave. Man, I can't think of anything more terrifying than being naked and exposed. Not, not just in a way that embarrasses me, but in front of God. The one to whom I must give an account. I was created in the image of God. I have a job description as a human. It is to image God, to represent God, to be like God. And I am accountable for the ways that I have lied about God. I am accountable for the ways that I have misrepresented God. To stand naked and exposed before the source of life himself, the omnipotent creator. The one who is not only the creator, but the judge of all things. The one who has the power to infinitely bless and infinitely destroy. I cannot think of a more terrifying description. That doesn't sound pleasant. And you guys, I'm going to be honest, often it isn't pleasant. When the word of God cuts away the lies and deceptions of our hearts, um, the reality is I am like the wizard. I want to stay hidden behind my pyrotechnics. I feel pretty safe back there. You know what I'm saying? Like I, like, I like to have the flashing lights and the, hey, look at this, and don't really look at me. Look at this thing that I did, and look at this thing I pretended that I said. Look at this thing that makes me look good. Just keep looking at those things. Don't look at me. I like it back here because I feel safe. But the reality is I'm not because it locks me away from love. I am in a prison of my own making, a prison of shame, and a prison of hiding, and a prison of guilt. I think in order to stay happy, I need to stay hidden. But it leaves me isolated and alone and afraid. And you guys, it leaves me unable to rest. If you are driven by anxiety, if your life is being wrecked by the frayed ends of your image and your behavior and your performance. You need the Word of God to cut away the things that are trapping you and locking you in to such a small and isolated existence of, of, of only putting out an image and not being known and loved. You guys, God is not primarily interested in making you happy. God is primarily interested in making you holy. He wants to make you like Jesus because it's when he makes you like Jesus that you will become truly happy. It is when you are free, free of your self-deceptions, free of your lies, free of the prison that you create for yourself, free of your performance and free of your pretending, that you'll be free to experience peace and joy and the fullness of life. God isn't here to make you feel better about yourself. God is here to make you more like Jesus because it's in being like Jesus you're not going to need to feel better about yourself because you will know you are infinitely loved and infinitely blessed. That requires God to disarm the weapons of our deception because that's what our lies are. Our lies are weapons that we use against vulnerability and against humility because vulnerability feels like I might be hurt. Humility feels like I will be humiliated. And so we fight against those things with our deceptions of others and our self-deceptions. And God goes to war with those weapons because those weapons are used to defend ourselves 
from condemnation and rejection and even self-condemnation and self-rejection, but as long as those weapons of deceit are in our hands, we are a danger to ourselves and we are a danger to others. As long as we live behind our facades, we will stay isolated and alone because no one can actually meet us. Nobody can actually see us eye to eye and share human community with us because we're only allowing them to see an image of who we actually are. God will not meet our pretend faces. God will not go along with our charade because God loves us too much. God loves us where we are, but he leaves us too much to leave us where we are. He will set us free. The image of this passage where it says that, that we are all naked and exposed, there, there, this actually has kind of a military connotation. And the image is of a soldier who, who has been both knocked down and disarmed, right? His armor and his weapons have been cut away, and he is now vulnerable and exposed to the one who has all the power. You guys, God gave the word of God so that it would strip us of our pretenses and knock away our pretending and our performance. It'll strip us of our deceptions and our spin and our self-justification, and it will leave us naked and vulnerable and in need. Why? So that we would be humiliated? No. Because in order to be loved, we have to be humble. Because it's only in humility we will allow ourselves to be loved. We can only be loved when we are truly exposed and in need. It's the only time we'll allow God's grace to actually break in and be God's grace. All right, there's an incredible transition at the end to verses 14 through 16. If verses 11 through 13 sound terrifying, verses 14 through 16 honestly sound too good to be true. The Word of God comes in and disarms us, exposes us, not so that we will be despised in our weakness and our shame, but so that we will be loved. So that the stuff we can't even look at in ourselves, God sees and God looks at us and says, I see you and I love you. I love you as you are. You guys, there's nothing more disarming than love. And there's nothing that will turn our humiliation into dignity like love. Love is the most powerful force in the entire universe. It's the only thing that allowed the characters in The Wizard of Oz to change. They didn't need a wizard to perform something for them. They needed Dorothy to love them as they were, where they were, so that they could actually come out from hiding and they could actually recognize that they have limitations, that those limitations aren't places of, of, of toxic shame, but the reminders of their need that they cannot be isolated and autonomous. They need others. They need to be loved. They were not exposed and rejected. Dorothy saw them and loved them. You guys, Jesus is the true and better Dorothy. I'm guessing you've never heard that sentence before. <laughs> Jesus is the true and better Dorothy. He is on a mission not to condemn and reject, but to redeem and restore. He is walking along a golden path to the restoration of all things, the restoration of the shalom of God at the heart of the created order, and he invites us to travel with him. Jesus is the better high priest and the better sacrifice, and he went into the better temple. That's the message of the book of Hebrews. He is better. He, the high priest, brought himself the best sacrifice into the temple of God, the cross. 
and he laid down his life. After living the life we should have lived, he died the death we deserve to die. And he did it once for all. And when he was raised from the dead, the work was done. Justice was satisfied and grace was made free. You guys, we look up disarmed of our lies and disarmed of our self-deceptions and we feel defrauded and, and we feel scared and we feel exposed but we look up into the eyes of a Savior who knows us and loves us and meets us in our weakness, not asking us to fix ourselves or clean ourselves or perform better or, or, or whatever. He meets us, loves us. We see not rejection, but love. We see acceptance and grace. You guys, this is what the Word of God does. It disarms your lies and it invites you near. Listen, you don't need to be more religious. God doesn't love you more when you're more self-controlled. If I could just get this sin under control, if I could just stop doing this bad thing, if I would just start doing this good thing. You know, i got to go to church to get my life together. i got to go to church to get my life cleaned up. I need a little more religion in my life. No, you don't. A little more religion in your life is like adding one more layer to your facade. It will kill you. I don't need church. I just need a little more pleasure. I need more time on the weekends. I need more alcohol and drugs. I need, I need, more, I need more fun buddies. How are you to find that? Right? I, I, need, I need to run after these things. Really? Really? Because the ones you've already had have been so deeply satisfying. You're just adding one more layer of self-deception to the facade. You don't need more religion. You don't need more pleasure. You don't need to run to performance. You don't need to run to hiding. You need to be loved. You need to be loved. Because love is the only thing that can set your heart free. It is the only thing that can meet you where you are and take you where you want to be. It is the only thing that can usher you in to the shalom and the peace of the presence of God. God loves you where you are, but he leaves you too much to leave you where you are. So he will disarm your defenses that you use to keep him away and to keep yourself hidden. You guys, let me ask you something. If we have a God that loves us this much, who has paid this price so we could be this blessed, why would we pull back? Why would we not hold fast our confession? Why would we not push into a deeper and more profound experience of grace? There is no longer a throne of judgment awaiting us because Christ took our judgment for us. We approach a throne of grace. A, a throne in which we are loved. The one sitting on it does not condemn us for our weaknesses or our failures. He loves us in our weakness so that He can deliver us from our failures. And He is inviting us near. Our greatest fear will give way to an even greater hope. And you'll be given the permission to get off your treadmill of self-effort and rest in God's effort for you. And we'll stop having to, to be so impressive. And we'll stop having to have it all together. And, and we'll stop having to feel compelled to be just so likable all the time. And, 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 and we won't need to find more distractions and more self-destructions to keep us numb from the pain. Because we were invited to find rest in the God who sees us as we are.
and loves us. He sees our shame and removes it and wraps his righteousness around us. You guys, in 2018, let us draw near to the throne of grace. There is no greater goal and no greater invitation. Where else would we want to be? All right, let me close this in a word of prayer. We're going to share communion in a moment. And uh, Kevin's going to come back up and introduce that and pray for us with that. But let me pray for us as we wrap up. Father, I thank you that you have given us a gift in your word, a gift that um, sets us free. Lord, the irony is a lot of times we run from what you're doing in our lives. We run because it hurts a little bit. When you pull out that scalpel, when you cut away the lies and deceptions, when you start exposing the things we don't want exposed, when you start opening the hurts we don't want opened, we run. But Lord, we know that you are not a butcher. You are the master physician. And as you bring the word of God to our souls, you are doing it to heal, not to harm, to bless, not to hurt. You are doing it to set us free into the beauty of grace. Man, God, I just, it is so profoundly un, understandable that you love us. That when we come out from behind the pyrotechnics and the facade and we're small and we're shivering and we're exposed, you do not despise our weakness. You love us. You draw near to us. You put your arm around us. And you whisper, you love us, that you, that you delight in us, that you forgive us, and that you set us free. And we stand up, maybe for the first time in our lives, with straight backs and heads held high, not because of our pride and our performance or our confidence in our image, but because we are loved. Lord, set us free into that experience. Set us free. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.